This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning Best Selling Taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards, both in 2017 and 2018. So, if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a late Wednesday night episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, and I am now joined by one of my favorite quarterbacks of the 21st century. Yeah, Mark Bolger of the St. Louis Rams, the Baltimore Ravens. Briefly, full season, by the way. Mark, I did not realize you were on the roster for the full year behind Joe Flacco. I thought for whatever reason you did the Kyle Orton thing where you retired early on and were like, you know what? No, I'm not doing this anymore. But you had more meat on the bone. You were, I think you could have kept playing. No, you know, I I wanted to, um, and I know they wanted me to stay longer. I just had my first uh, little girl and I figured, you know, I had a good run. It's like being in Vegas, you know, <laughs> I rolled a couple of 20 and I just, uh, you know, I, I decided to, to shut it down. You had an amazing run because you were a six round pick out of West Virginia and you, you got to work with a bunch of amazing offensive minds and quarterbacks and just receivers and everything else. But you, you just, you were there and you, you got to experience a lot of that, but I the first thing I wanted to ask you because I know when you're watching quarterbacks today and the offenses today and just how explosive everything is, do you see that and you go, "Wow, I wish I was playing in the league now. I was a couple years too early with the way you played the quarterback position." You know, sometimes I do. You know, I that was my best attribute. Is obviously it definitely wasn't running. Um, no, <laughs> I wasn't the biggest guy, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I guarantee I could put it you know, pretty much, uh, anywhere I wanted, you know, more than anyone, um, even playing today. I know that for a fact, but you know, it is what it is. At the same time, you look back in the Dan Marinos and the, uh, John Elway's Joe Montana, they could say the same thing. So, you know, I'm just grateful that I had the opportunity. I got to play with a Marshall Falk and Tory Holt, Isaac Bruce's, you know, so, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and complain. I had a a great run and I got to play with a lot of great guys. Do you miss football at all? I do. I miss Sundays. Okay. Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays were not fun. Mm-hmm. Um, just the guys, the locker room was so much fun. Um, when you're winning and you have a, a, you know, a great locker room, it's a lot of fun when you're losing and you have a lot of different um, clicks in the locker room. It's, it's, it's no fun. So, 
you know, from 2001 to about 2007, it was so much fun. And obviously in college, I think most, even most uh, NFL guys will tell you college, uh, it's a lot more, you know, it's fun. Once you get the NFL, it's a little bit more of a business. Mm-hmm. So you had more fun at West Virginia than you did in uh, the NFL. Uh, well, you know, the early NFL was, was fun, but mm-hmm. I guess it, it's really cutthroat in the NFL. But right. um, yeah, college, uh, it, it's more like a high school atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the fun aspect, I, w- I would say yes. Okay, cool. Um, are you still keeping up with a lot of West Virginia football and like watching Will Greer? Do you have any thoughts on how he's going to pan out? Because I'm, I'm a fan. I think he's good. I think he, uh, out of all the quarterbacks coming out this year, uh, if Herbert stays and it's really him, Dwayne Haskins, who only has like 12 career starts, I don't know. I feel like Will Greer might be the safest pick. He's uh, he's good. I like him. Yeah, you know, going into the season, I, you know, I, I'm obviously biased because right. I'm a huge West Virginian Will Greer fan. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I've watched him make all the throws. Um, and he manages the game great. I, I honestly think he's going to be a really good NFL quarterback. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't go first or second – uh, quarterback wise, you know, I think someone's going to get a steal with him because I like his release. Um, you know, he, he's got some mobility, but, uh, you know, he obviously knows the game. So if I'm a GM sitting there. I, I, I think if he's the second or third quarterback available, I'm, I would take him, but you it's know, like the a lot of these <laughs> GMs don't think that way. Yeah, I mean, he just seems like I'd be nervous. I love Dwayne Haskins and what he's able to do, but the twelve career start stuff, it like seeing with Trubisky and guys like that, I would just always be a little nervous. Will Greer's been in college for fourteen years now, and he kind of has that Baker thing where he's really accurate. He's polished. He's won a lot of big games. Like he is someone that I would, I, I would feel really good about Will Greer more so than anybody else. So I think that's fair. Yeah, exactly. You know, and sometimes you, you, you can't judge a guy, you know, crap. I, I played one year of high school football and then, you know, six you years really? later, I'm in the NFL. Yeah. So, oh you know, six That's years later, impressive. I'm playing, you know, taking care of Warner's job. So, but, but yeah. well, you know, I, I've watched enough film and uh, enough, you know, in the NFL. I mean, I had to do it for, for a living. I, I'm pretty confident that he's going to be a good NFL player. Who are you closer to Kurt Warner or Trent Green? Uh, I wouldn't say I'm close with either, but or I mean, will, I'm, basically I'm in your playing with... days, who were you, did, was there someone you interacted with more? Was it a competition thing where it was just kind of like you both were looking over each other's shoulders, you're competing? Was it, what was the dynamic there? Yeah, well, well Kurt Warner, um, you know, I, I was there and he was the NFL MVP in 2001 and I went my first year with the Rams and we went to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was the NFL MVP. And then the following year, we we had lost to the Patriots. That was the first Super Bowl, believe it or not. That's how old I am. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, unfortunately, Kurt hurt his finger. And then, you know, he kind of had to turn into a mentor for me. Um, and he treated me great. So, you know, anytime I was injured, I try to emulate what, what how Kurt treated me and, uh, and then Kurt went on to the Giants, and then he went on to Arizona, and uh, he was great to me. So I, I would say that I, you know, I could text Kurt right now, and he would text me back. He's, he's a great guy, and he's a great mentor for me. Okay, cool. Um, so I wonder when you look at the quarterback position today, do you think 
it's getting easier for quarterbacks to be successful or do you think it's more difficult with the amount of reads and protection schemes and just how athletic every defender is from linebacker up where linebackers are basically built like safeties and um do you think the quarterback is getting like it's more difficult or do you think it's easier to be a big time quarterback today well, I think it's 50 50 um you know someone like me it's easier for um these okay. guys I think can do a lot more than I could do um, but at the same time, we had to take a three-step, five-step, seven-step drop in the side on the way back. Um, you know, our routes were 20 yards down the field with, mm-hmm. with Mike Marks. And, uh, you know, now I think it's, you know, but at the same time, I'm not going to sit there and put the ball in a guy's belly and then run it and get hit by Richard Seymour. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it, it's a little give and take. Um, but, you know, I don't know. It was kind of more fun back then because you could mess with the safeties more, and the rules are a little easier now. Mess with I think them how? because the, it's it's just that the receivers you just get it in the receivers' hands now. They're pretty much running backs out there. Yeah. Now, so before it used to be catch it. Okay, they go down, and it's a different deal. Um, you know, they'd catch the ball, and they had to worry about going over the middle. I don't think receivers worry about going over the middle. Mm-hmm. quote unquote anymore because and it's not the refs fault the fans like to blame the refs but it's that's what you know their job is what the nfl tells them to do mm-hmm. so they're calling exactly what the competition committee tells them to do and i, I just i think it's getting a little bit over the top and I, I i think it'll come back because otherwise <laughs> one of these other leagues coming up they're going to take football right back to where it was and the, XFL. the nfl will go away yeah it's coming. That's a it's, look at MMA. I mean, that, that came out of nowhere over boxing because we choose this. You don't have to play in the NFL if you don't want. It, mm-hmm. It's usually the people who never played in the NFL who make these rules. That, that's what bothers, I think, the guys who, who played in the NFL. Hmm. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I think it's um, the going over the middle stuff is weird because ultimately it's created more jobs, kind of like the DH rule in baseball, where like the Julian Edelmans, the Cooper Cups, guys like that can now have fifteen year careers, and it's it's good for them. But it's also it's just a different kind of game than what, obviously what you played. But um, it doesn't seem like we're going back towards that. Um, it uh, it's still going to be interesting. Do you have like a favorite NFL moment uh, during your career where you're like, that's just that's still something I I reflect on, or that was just an awesome thing for you? Uh, I mean, oh geez, there's not one. Um, you know, winning, <clears throat> you know, in the last play of a game in Seattle, and you know, in overtime, a walk off was great. Winning a playoff game in Seattle was great. Winning the Pro Bowl MVP was great. Winning in Pittsburgh was great. You know, there's also, you know, a bunch of moments that weren't so great. So I just, looking back, enjoyed the ride. You know, I was blessed to even have the chance to play 11 years in the NFL. I, like I said, I played one year in high school. So mm-hmm. for, for me to have that ride was, was great. Are we going to see you back in the AAF or uh, the XFL as a player, a coach? What are, is uh, Mark Bolger? Am I going to see uh, you on the big screen soon? I promise you, you won't. <clears throat> I was actually this past weekend. Uh, I'm with Jared Allen. I, I don't know if you know. He, yes, the I'm curling. Sure you do. Yes, I'm with Jared and Keith Bullock, who was, you know, he's potential Hall of Fame, and Mike Roos. That's our curling team, and we were just in Minnesota, or me and Jared were at least, uh, this past weekend 
played the Olympic gold medalist team. And uh, so we've been training to, to curl to try to make the Olympics. You know, we got a long way to go, but we're, we held our own up there. And, uh, you know, just, you got to live life. Just can't talk about it, right? What? So how did you get into curling? And also, what is more difficult, curling or being an NFL quarterback? Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, being an NFL quarterback is a little more difficult. Is it um, a little more? Um, okay. Just a little bit more, yeah. yeah. I'm six months into curling, and I'm playing against the gold medal team, and, you know, they <clears throat> they beat us decently, but, uh, you know, <laughs> we don't have to worry about waking up on Monday. <laughs> but it's it's awesome. Like, you know, we're definitely getting older, and I'm, I'm a little bit sore still from the weekend. But I'll tell you what, people think curling is easy. You know, slide on ice for 20, 20 yards and throw it 45 yards it's, and try to put it within six inches. It's These guys are unbelievable how good – and the girls are just as good. It's, it's fun, and the people are great. They've been so welcoming to us, and um, we're having so a great time. So can we watch you anywhere? Time. Where can we, we watch Darren Allen though. and Mark Bolter curl? We have a YouTube channel. Okay. Um, and then I think January 2nd to 6th, we're in uh, Blaine, Minnesota, and they usually have a, a channel too. But Jared Allen and myself, we'll, we'll be tweeting it out and putting it on Instagram, and then you can just follow it by YouTube stream. And uh, hopefully one day we'll be on the Friday night deal on NBC. But uh, it's fun. We're just try not to fall and uh, laugh at us. You know, when we're <laughs> – Jared fell last week, and it was the best because when he falls, he – you can hear it about a mile away. <laughs> is he still pretty big? Is he? Because you know a lot of those defensive and offensive linemen drop a bunch of weight once they leave the NFL. Is he still pretty jacked? Yeah, all, okay. all these guys. You know, I was actually with the Predators last night, and Steve Hutchinson, he's an old lineman from yeah. Minnesota. I was with him last night. I didn't even recognize him. He's probably 230 now, 240, and he used to be 320. It's, oh my God, it's amazing how they the have to maintain yeah, they have to maintain their weight while they're playing, but um, it's definitely good for their bodies to take take some weight off. And, uh, you know, I, I'm still the same weight and still small. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Um, so I know you have a foundation. What uh, What is going on with that, and uh, what should people know about uh, what you're doing on that front? Well, for 12 years, you know, I put my heart and soul into, you know, pretty much the military. Mm-hmm. Um all the branches, mostly the Marines, but, uh, you know, I work with the Army and the Air Force, everyone, but the Marine Corps and then first responders. Um, My dad was a Marine. I've done it all. <clears throat> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I was just in Boston for the Marine Corps birthday. I go there every year um, for that. Um, you know, I've done service dogs and honor flights and PTSD and triple amputees. One of my friends is a quadruple amputee. There's only four of them that survived. Um, it, it's just amazing the way technology's come that with all these IEDs, yeah, it's great that everyone's surviving, but we have so many amputees now. So, and then with all the tours in Vietnam is usually one year and, you know, hundred combat days, but now they're, they're getting 200, you know, live rounds, uh, a tour and they're getting five, six, seven deployments. It's, we, we just got to take care of them in the VA. I know that, uh, Right now, we're, we're trying to improve that, but we just got to uh, take care of them as much as they can because there's only one reason the way we live, you know, the way we do it. It's because of the Marine Corps, and it's because of, 
the army. It's because of the Air Force and the sailors and Coast Guard and first responders. So I had to serve somehow. That was my goal um, since I didn't actively serve. And uh, I think we should all, you know, if you see a service person, just say thank you. Yeah, um, that's great, man. So 12 years, uh, 12 years going strong. Um, you're a busy guy. This is uh, you're doing great work there. The curling, and as you confirmed, being an NFL quarterback more difficult than uh, curling on a yes, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I asked the big questions here on this podcast, Mark, as you now know. So <laughs> when you come back, you don't have to answer that one because I, I know. But we'll we'll see. Um, thank you so much for taking the time, Mark. I really do appreciate it. And uh, if you have not already, go watch. Mike Martz's offense with Mark Bulger, Tori Holt, and uh, Isaac Bruce, and everybody else. And was uh, uh, was Ricky Prohl still on the roster at this point? Was there a Ricky Prohl crossover? I don't even remember now. I, I am that old, yes. You I, are I that old. Okay. Of Ricky Prohl, yes. yes, that's right. I didn't want to say that, but I was like, I Ricky Prohl was like uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, okay, yeah. Sean Landett actually punted on one of my teams, so that's saying something too. So. <laughs> Adam Archuleta, or what was it? Dave, what was the? Safety? Oh yeah, 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 Archie. Yeah, man, he I, was younger than me. Yeah. Oh my gosh! It's, now you're starting to age. Hey, I got two girls in the house right now. You're making me feel old. Come on. I'm sorry. I'm just we're remembering some guys. This is who I grew up with, Mark. I've watched a lot of your games, and I'm just it, it, a lot of them are coming back. You don't even realize some of the names that you've stored away in the back of like just people like me. Just, just has a rolodex of sports information where you start thinking about Mark Bolger moments when you're actually on the podcast. So I'm thinking about all these different things that are popping. I'm like, oh yeah, Leonard Little. Oh yeah, this guy. Oh yeah, that oh, guy. Aeneas Williams. Yeah, I, I play with Aeneas Williams. I play with all these guys. <laughs> Mark was there and he's on the podcast right now. That's great. Yeah. Uh, well, Mark, I really do appreciate you taking the time. We can uh, definitely go watch you in curling in the Olympics. And I'm be like, I'm going to watch you on NBC. Mike Tirico is going to shout you out. And I'm be like, oh, I know him. That's Mark Bulger. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's curling away for America. And I will come back anytime you want. And <clears throat> just go to uh, the MarkBulgerFoundation.com. And it's yes. not looking for money. It's just, hey, it's just awareness because these people, what they do and not just them, their families, it's, uh, they're amazing people. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's an honor for me to get to work with them and the gold star families, what they go through is just amazing. So we'll do that, Mark. Thank you so much. And thank you uh, for all you do with the the foundation and everything else. But, uh, we will have to do this again soon. We will anytime you want. All right, Mark. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. We're back on the Chase Thomas Podcast, and I am now joined by longtime friend of the pod of Pro Football Focus. He is the NFL editor there. It is Austin Gale. Austin, good evening. How are you? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's always good to have you back, Austin. Um, it's been like, what, two weeks? So we're back in the fold. Um, it's it's good. We're in the middle of the week. We're doing better than Ron Rivera in press conferences, I think, at this point. Um, who Just reading these quotes, I mean, in The Athletic and certain things with what's going on there with Tepper. And he's like, until I see uh, David Tepper's signature on some kind of quote or something like that, I'm not uh, worrying about anything that might, may or may not happen with my job. Because they got four games left. Two of them include the Saints. 
and uh, not great. Matt Ryan, I think, is one of the other. And then I, I'm, I'm blanking on who the the fourth team is on their schedule down the stretch. But they're six and six now. The Panthers, another bad loss. The Bucks this week. Cam Newton can't throw downfield. They literally had to put in somebody who is not Chris Winkie, although I was hoping it was Chris Winkie, longtime Panthers uh, backup quarterback who is like 54 years old now because he came in the league in his early 30s. But, um, yeah, Panthers, a team that I penciled in for the playoffs of the wild card to start this season, uh, I don't think are going to get there. No, not at all. And I think it, has, it comes down to Cam, Newt, Cam Newton's highs and lows are, you know, are both – severe in both respects when he's great it's hard to stop you saw that on their streak when they got to six and two hitting you know playing very well some people were making comments about him being back on his mvp campaign but then when you see the lows of ken newton the clutch throws being too high inaccurate making poor decisions you want to blame other guys i'm sure cam newton wants to blame other guys but there are areas there are throws in these last four losses that he would love to have back and have really just been bad and poorly timed. You know, he needs to improve his accuracy. It's always been his Achilles heel. And to see so many, you know, throw after throw in these clutch, you know, clutch moments of all these losses go too high or be inaccurate, maybe too early, maybe too late. It's crazy to see just like Cam Newton break down after, you know, I think a lot of Panthers fans are saying he's back to his form. He's playing in the lead level. He's going toe-to-toe with Drew Brees in terms of MVP and see it all crash down for that one reason of accuracy and decision-making. I just, you know, what's funny is when when guys start to go down the way that Cam is this year. And look, I'm a gigantic Cam Newton apologist, and I will defend him till the end of time. But I think he's hurt. Like I just think part of this is this. I understand he's always been an inaccurate guy, but like some of those throws even weren't even his fault. Like he had four picks on Sunday. One of them was tipped. Like with I think it was to DJ Moore. He had a couple errant throws, and like you said, he's always been kind of an inaccurate guy. But um, I just think. He is someone when he can't even go downfield or literally having to put in somebody else because he can't pass downfield and defenses know he can't do that. Like that's another thing they're taking away from because one of the things he's always had is just an incredible deep ball. And if that's no longer uh, a possibility for him because he's just that shoulder and everything else is just too messed up right now, um, it severely limits uh, what this offense can do, right? I agree. I think him not being able to throw downfield, I'm not sure if that's injury related or Whatever it may be, it has to seem They're saying it's injury-related. Yeah, the fact that they're having to put in a different quarterback to throw deep down the field is insane, and it really limits the offense in terms of extending the the ball downfield. However, North Toronto creates so many opportunities for Newton to find easy throws, easy open throws to move the chains and sustain drives, and he's missed on some. McCaffrey is covering a lot. He's really fueling this entire offense. The offense runs through Christian McCaffrey, you know, catching passes out of that field and changing it up with runs. DJ Moore is coming on of late. I, I don't think Devin Punches is as terrible as some people think. It's not the weaponry around, and I don't think it's the offensive coordinator at all. I think, yes, injury-related in terms of not being able to throw the depot, but there have been plenty of opportunities for Cam Newton to win these last four games that it wasn't the deep ball that was at fault. It was really, you know, a high throw or poor decision-making. And yeah. I think, yes, it doesn't help him, but the games were too close for to, to you know to start pulling excuses at this point. Yeah, he just seemed dejected, and I think he's even confused about what's going on because it feels like this offense is good, right? Like he talked about Christian McCaffrey has just found new life under uh, North Turner this year, and it's just the difference between Shula's offense and Turner's is obvious. And um, I don't know. I mean, DJ Moore, like you said, is coming on, and they have Torrey Smith, and it's not just Devin Funches, and then like guys like. Uh, bird last year who came off uh late and then got, i think got put on ir at the end of the year but now um 
it turns out Greg Olson still can't stay on the field. And it's really sad because it looks like this may be it. Like we may never watch Greg Olson play football again. And he's always been Cam Newton's favorite target. And it's not going to help things with them at six and six, trying to end the skid with, uh, um, they're just awesome tight end Greg Olson being gone for the year with that same foot issue. Um, that's going to require surgery and he's, he's gone. And it sounds like it may be a career ender at this point. It's, it's really sad. No, absolutely. Greg Olson. I'm a big Greg Olson fan. I've seen him going down like that. And towards the tail end of his career, the injuries derail such a successful player, specifically at the tight end position where in the NFL now we're seeing is, you know, no one be as good as some of the top guys like Zach Ertz, Travis Kelsey, even Rob Gronkowski has fallen off outside of those top guys. There's not any elite threats, and I think Greg Olson was that guy when healthy, and it sucks to see him kind of go down like this. And speaking of the, you know, this four-game stretch, them trying to come back into the playoff race, their window is closing, if not closed. You, know, you needed to win three of these last four, maybe two of these last four, to really have a, you know, a batting chance. At, you know, because you've got the Saints next two in the next four games, it's not going to be easy for them to come back. Now you factor in the Greg Olson injury. Honestly, the, I think Cam Newton, Rivera, the entire Panthers team understands where this team is. It's not going to be enough to get back into that playoff picture when they felt, and I think everyone felt, fans, media included, that this team was capable of going to the playoffs. This team, this offense was good enough to make it, and they really just botched it. I think we understated how much it mattered uh, for Steve Wilkes to dip along with uh, their linebackers coach who followed him to Arizona because this is now three straight years of different coordinators on the defensive side of the ball. Eric Washington obviously got demoted. Um, Ron Rivera is now calling the plays for the defense um, in an effort to save his job. And it does seem like, I mean, Kwan Short's been very quiet this year. Their defensive lines regressed. Brady Hoke got fired. Um, they did do some more reshuffling. I think their secondary coach got moved. And this is a defense that we just assumed with Ron Rivera, Steve Wilk, Sean McDermott, that their defense was going to be top 15 in defensive DVOA for um, as long as he was there. And this defense has just not been good. So when Cam's struggling like he has over the last couple weeks, you need that elite defense to come back and it's like Julius Peppers looking his age and um, <laughs> Mike Adams who uh, openly was talking about like you know we're, our defense hasn't been awful but we give up these back-breaking third and 17 first downs that just destroy um, our team and it's it, he's right like if you go down the list of like all the situations where the Panthers defense just bad timing they give up big plays at the worst possible time and it just was a backbreaking theme for them. And it, I think that's just the under um, talked about situation in Carolina this year is like, yeah, Cam's struggling over the last couple weeks, but like usually he's had a good defense, um, elite defense really to fall back on, but maybe just losing coordinator after coordinator um, has finally taken its toll on what Carolina can actually do defensively. Co- coaching changes have had a huge factor on how this defense has regressed. And I also think, talent plays into that as well i think secondary has given up a lot of big plays even though dante jackson has flashed at times there are times where he gets up big plays bradbury is up and down and the safety play has regressed and then you look at the defensive line you spoke to it Quan short has been really quiet in the run he's great but as a pass rusher he has not been you know the guy that they need him to be and then you look at julius peppers he's really too old to be playing right now though he is so yeah. productive you need someone better than julius peppers to attack the, you know attack the passer um, and, and at a linebacker, I think Thomas Davis, you know, Shaq, Shaq Thompson, and Luke Keekley, that's, that's a pretty good group. I, I think mm-hmm. you can't wish for better talent there. And that allows them to do a lot of things defensively that hopefully coaches are taking advantage of. But big plays, 
usually fall on a lack of talent with secondary, lack of pass rush, and coaching change. I mean, not coaching change, but coaching falls. And you look at you know all the bad defenses around the league, they give up a lot of big plays. And you need to be able to limit those 20-plus yard passes through the air and 15-plus 15 yard, 15 yards um, runs on the ground to be a good defense because it's, it's not easy to, you know, to you know, defend teams when you're giving up so many big plays. And I think Carolina needs to limit that. And it's, it falls talent, of course, and coaching, I think, matters as well. But at the same time, the spotlight's always going to be on Cam Newton because he needs to be the guy that wins these close games. When the game's close and they're not getting blown out by you know, double digits, Cam Newton needs to be able to pull it out, make the right throws, and win. Yeah. Um, do you think they ultimately part with Ron Rivera at the end of the year? It's 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 hard to say. It's not likely. I, I think yeah. the expectations falling far below expectations. I think you put him on another you know another team that doesn't have as high expectations. I think he's done a good job with the talent he has. Mm-hmm. The expectations have been much higher for this team for a long time, and I think the window is closing with Cam Newton. You know, he's not going to be this superstar athlete as big as he is and as healthy as he is forever. But and that's the exact reason why maybe it's time to bring in a guy that can win now and do something with this team, uh, and maybe a, cha- a change of look. Make sense for this guy. I just don't know. I would be careful here because Ron Rivera has been very successful. He's taken in the playoffs three of the last four years. They went 15 and one, obviously went to the Super Bowl. Um, they made the offensive coordinator change that was overdue with Shola. And he's now the offensive coordinator in New York. But um, this offense has just been a lot better. Like Norv Turner is been an upgrade for them. And we were kind of suspect of getting him back in the fold, but him and his son, Scott Turner, and everything else, they're, they're good. I wonder if maybe just the fix is like, you know what? We need to move on because Marty Herney, bad GM. And uh, I think that's where I'd be looking if I'm Tepper. It's like, let's keep this coach who's been very successful here. He's usually been a second half coach. So that's maybe the more concerning thing here is that this is the first time in Rivera's uh, last couple of years, this group, where they're not streaking at the right time and they're actually regressing as the season goes on. But maybe um, him taking over defensive play calling and Eric Washington just focusing on defensive line and maybe Steve Wilkes because he's coaching for his job too. And he is, I believe, a native of North Carolina. So it's kind of a surprise that he left anyway. Maybe you get him back. You bring you get the gang back together this offseason. You keep uh, the Turner family running the offense and uh, you run it back another year but you do make a change with the the general manager because marty herney is not the right answer there and maybe that's that's all you do because like you said they need more talent especially in the pass rush especially in the secondary um thomas davis is probably retiring in the year ryan khalil is leaving at and that's gonna fill uh, a hole at center tight end is gone like they they just have a lot of big roster holes that they have to take care of and i don't know if i'd necessarily trust um, marty herney to be the one to um, keep this thing moving in the right direction over the next couple of years and the remainder of Cam Newton's prime. No, I think you're absolutely right. Getting a GM there that can inject both sides of the ball with significant talent is paramount for this team to come back. And I also think the last thing Cam Newton and all the remaining pieces want to do for next year is lose North Turner. Yep. That's the last thing. He's been so well for this offense. that so much for McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Cam Newton included. I think Cam Newton at his best has been with North Turner. I think Losing him would be very bad. I don't, if a coaching change with Ron Rivera and with North Turner also bouncing, I don't think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you need to keep whatever you need to keep in place to keep North Turner running because this offense looks great when, you know, when running on all silvers. You know what offense doesn't look great right now? The Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> and I'm I agree. Annoyed. I think with, oh, go ahead. With Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins' regression and pressure has been 
you know, the tail of the tape for that one. And him struggling to, in the beginning of the season, he's you know, ranked inside the top five and pass yeah. rating under pressure. And then as the season progresses, he's struggled with a bad offensive line. For as long as he's playing well under pressure, this Minnesota Vikings offense could thrive. When he starts to dip down way to, you know, towards regression line, that's when Minnesota's offense starts to look like it does now. Which isn't an indictment on Cousins. Like, that's he's playing behind the 30th. Uh, I believe PFF this week had uh, the Vikings offensive line at 30th in the league. Um, that's a problem. And expecting him to just be able to make chicken shit out of whatever because Dalvin Cook hasn't been there um, for weeks on end, so they've never really had a running game this year. No offensive line help, and he's got two amazing weapons, top five receivers and Adam Thielen and um, Stephon Diggs. But, like, even still, like it should be expected that an immobile quarterback who um, need, like benefits from a better offensive line when he was in Washington, he had Trent Samuels and a pretty good offensive line there with Jay Gruden and everything. But now um, this offensive line, it turns out the Vikings cannot – Vikings fans do not are not allowed to have nice things is I think what we're learning more <laughs> than anything because they finally, after like 38 years of awful offensive line play, Mike Tice, nightmares, everything – the offensive line was good, and they won a lot of games. The defense was good. The offensive line was good. Case Keenum had a career resurgence. Adam Thielen came on. Dalvin Cook looked good before he tore his ACL. None of that's been true, and yet they're still in a very good position to make the playoffs. I just feel like I, I'm not worried about John Filippo's offense with this group, and I just feel like a lot of it is just if they had a good offensive line again, I think everything would be fine. We'd be like, oh, they're going to go 11-5, and 10-6, and, and win the division, and it's fine. And that good offensive line, or lack thereof, carries into the run game. They have yes. not been able to run the football as much as they want to. In fact, they're in, you know, not being able to run the football, forcing Kirk Cousins into passing situations, which only pins the ears back of the defensive line against the bad Vikings offensive line. It's a recipe for disaster, and I think that's what Kirk Cousins is seeing. The reason why he's looked so good and the Vikings were able to win games early in the season is what I noted before, is his career year under pressure. When you have a quarterback playing at the rate that Kirk Cousins was early in the season under pressure, you're going to win a lot of games because it's very hard to do in this league. There's only a handful of QBs that do it well year over year, and that's Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and maybe one or two other guys every year. But he was playing very well to start, but he's starting to regress back to the mean. And I think if Kirk Cousins continues to fall in that direction, this could go down very badly down this last stretch of the season. Do you know what they remind me of? A better version of the 2018 Atlanta Falcons. Because the Falcons, <laughs> once they lost Devontae Freeman, and they kept doing my favorite halfback dive with Tevin Coleman for two yards over and over again. Sark, Mr. Stubborn Stark, or Stubborn, eh, Stubborn Sark, doing his jet sweeps and everything else with Calvin Ridley and all those other weird play calls that he refuses to throw out. Um, I think you see part of that with Minnesota where it's like they don't have that balance. They know they have these elite receivers. The Falcons have the best trio, I think, in the NFL when they're all healthy and playing at an elite level with Ridley, Jones, and Sanu. Um, They know they can pass, and they're going to pass a lot. The problem with that is defenses, like you said, can pin their ears back. They can make situations like what the Ravens did to Atlanta this week. Um, Not fun. Like Atlanta had like 130-something yards or whatever it was um, at home against a rookie quarterback and I mean yes Baltimore's defense is good I mean Jimmy Smith is back and that secondary is better than it was a year ago and all that Terrell Suggs refuses to age um all that kind of good stuff but um the Vikings just kind of remind me of the Falcons in that respect where it's like the offensive line has been decimated they can't get a healthy they need their Florida State running back to be on the field to balance them out Dalvin Cook Devontae Freeman 
and they're just relying way too much on their quarterback to solve all their problems because Matt Ryan, his numbers this year have been pretty close to his MVP numbers from a couple years ago, and it just doesn't matter. And thankfully for Minnesota fans, they have a better defense than uh, DeMonte Kazee and Jalen Richards and uh, uh, just Duke Riley and Vic Beasley. They don't have those guys um, on their defense. They at least have a little bit more talent, and Everson Griffin came back, and they have Harrison Smith and uh, a bunch of first-round picks invested in the, their secondary. But, yeah, I mean, is that fair? Yeah, I'd say so. One, don't hit on DeMonte Casey. San Diego State grad. I love Casey. Don't, hey, don't I love Casey. Casey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Two, I, I think with the Minnesota Vikings offense, I think you made a great point going to the Falcons and you know, kind of comparing those two. Simply put, the Vikings offense got complacent because Kirk Cousins was playing so well under pressure. They could drop mm-hmm. back on five-step drops, seven-step drops, and throw the ball downfield because – he was playing well in a collapsing pocket. Now he's not, and they're not getting the ball out quick. They're not doing the quick sweeps, quick screens, getting down and cook the ball one or two yards beyond the line of scrimmage and turning the offense around to react to Cousins' regression. Instead, they're still thinking Cousins is the same guy that was there before, but he's not anymore. It's time to pivot the offense, feed guys near the line of scrimmage, run quicker plays, get the ball out quicker to account for a bad offensive line. That has been bad all season. And changing that offense a bit will help them get rid of this complacency and gain positive yards rather than having to stretch the field deep with Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs like they could before. Now they need to change it up. Get Dalvin Cook involved. Get the tight ends involved. Throw the ball out quickly, and I think they'll see some success. I think they just need to re-sign Matt Asiata and get those two yards to carry again. 13 carries for 43 yards. Let's bring it back, man. Let's get the gang back together. What a name drop. What a name drop. Matt Asiata. Talk about a one, maybe a six-game wonder for fantasy oh, football, yes. not even real football. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he was the Peyton Hillis after Peyton Hillis. You never know. Yeah. You never know. Um, last thing, I know you got to run. So the Steelers, they lost. They were up multiple touchdowns at home on primetime against the Chargers. And now James Conner dealing with an issue. No Le'Veon Bell, no James Conner. The defense sucks. Are we <laughs> seriously concerned about Pittsburgh? Are they? Can we cross them off as AFC contenders now? I say no. Okay. I don't think so. I think the James Conner injury doesn't help anything, but again, and I think every, you know, you, you'll know my take on this. I think running backs are replaceable, even the best ones. Yes. I think Jalen Samuel's coming in. I don't like how they've come out and said that Stephen Ridley's going to mix in. I think at that point, oh, he's God. below replacement level. But I think feeding Jalen Samuels and running the offense through, guess what, Antonio Brown, mm-hmm. that will do, you'll be able to do good things with that. I think the Steelers can create an offensive game plan that allows them to win games you know, down, for as long as James Conner's out. I think they just can't afford to lose close games like they did on primetime. That's going to happen, though, against a very good, underrated Chargers team. Down this next stretch of four games, though, these games are winnable for them. James Conner is not the big blow that everyone's saying is. He is a big blow in fantasy football, again, going to the fantasy reference. But he's not as big of a blow in the, on the NFL side of things. I think this offense can still put points on the board. It's going to be up to Ben Roethlisberger and his team rallying around the players that got on there before. Antonio Brown, Ben Roethlisberger, you know, maybe improve defensive, you know, defensive play if they can. And I think this team can get it. Do you believe that, though, that last part, the defense get better? Because, like, they were having linebackers <laughs> on, Keenan Allen and Unzen and I, like, you watch some of the film and you're like, oh, this defense is just, it's, it's not good. It's not good. Austin. What sucks about that was LJ Ford played an outstanding game, but he was put in a position to fail. He mm-hmm. succeeded more often than not, but he was put in a position to fail and fail with other linebackers. That decision was a head scratcher across the board. Putting linebackers on Keenan Allen will never work. Even LJ Ford having a career day by all means, 
it's still going to end up in a loss because of how good Keenan Allen is. That's underestimating an elite receiver in this league. I know he's lined up in the slot, but that doesn't mean anything anymore. They don't just, no, you know, teams don't just put their third best receiver in the slot now. They put their best one in there to find mismatches. And I think the defense didn't adapt. Do they have some talent there? I love Cameron Hayward. He's a baller. Bud Dupree and T.J. Watt have had more success this year. Maybe not as much as people think, but more success. I think the defense can string together some improvement, but they have to make the, you know make far less bonehead decisions in terms of lining linebackers on you know elite slot receivers. Yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty dubious. Maybe I'm just drinking too much of the Lamar Jackson Kool Aid in Baltimore. Wow, the Kool Aid's easy to drink though. It's fun. I love about it so much. Lamar I was Jackson so conflicted on fun. Sunday. <laughs> Just watching Lamar Jackson rush for like 17 times. Um, I love Lamar. So it's just, yeah, why, why would we waste our time with Joe Flacco for part of the season? Lamar is just immediately fun, and I don't, it's probably not sustainable with the running. I, He's 3 0. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Let's give it to him. Let's give it to him. Let's give it I to him. I believe in QB wins. Let's give mm-hmm. it to him. Okay, there you go. QB wins. That's all you need. Uh, that's that's, <laughs> that's the PFF way. That's uh, everything. Just how many wins does he have? All right, that done deal. That's that's who he is. Um, <laughs> so you have Ravens winning the AFC North. You heard it here first. Austin, uh, very pro wow. Ravens. Yeah. betting on Lamar. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I like it. I like it too. All right, man. Well, is there anything we should check out on ProFootballFocus.com? I read it every day. But is there anything you have out uh, today or later this week that we should check out before you go? Recently dropped some stuff on a lot of secondary players that are playing well, well above expectation. You look at Jamal Adams is having an insane year. He's marching on elite status very quickly, and I think that's getting underrated. And also Marlon Humphrey. wrote a piece on Marlon Humphrey today that looks, you know, that 2017 draft class with Davius White, Marshawn Lattimore, even throw a Dory Jackson in the mix. Desmond King is the highest grade corner. That's all from the 2017 draft talent. class. And because of that, Marlon Humphrey has kind of fallen out of the radar. But he's playing outstanding as well. I wrote a piece on him and kind of diving into the numbers on him. And I think both those pieces are great. But again, football focus, more than what just I do, is awesome. And definitely check out the site. All right, Austin, I appreciate it. Uh, Talk to you soon, buddy. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas Podcast. And I am now joined by... Mr. Connor O'Gara of SaturdayDownSouth.com. Connor, good evening. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I am. I'm doing good, man. It. Uh, it. Like we talked about before we started recording, I am fighting and fighting and fighting this cold. So we're gonna make it through the podcast, Connor, because there is so much that uh, I want to pick your brain on because you are very familiar with the SEC, obviously. Um, being an editor at SaturdayDownSouth.com, and I believe there was a big game in Atlanta this weekend. Correct. Yeah, I think uh, a team that is in crimson, Warren, a uh, team in red and black, fought really hard, had a late lead, ended up losing. But yeah, it was really entertaining. It was good. It was it was good. Um, now that we have had a couple days to kind of reflect and think about that game, think about the fake punt, think about Kirby losing his mind post game, think about Georgia fans have to deal with the fact that Kirk Herbstreit is on their side and that they can't uh, be mad at him for a week. Like it, uh, Where are you at um, with this game now that you've had a couple days to really think about um, the fallout, Georgia missing the playoff and everything uh, like that? Well, you know, I at the time, I think a lot of people who were kind of caught in the moment told themselves George deserves to be in the playoff no matter what after that game. And I went into the weekend thinking that there was no way Georgia was going to make the playoff with a loss. 
And that was because the way that the, the matchup would set up, I didn't think that they were going to, the selection committee was going to want to run it back with Alabama. So even though that was a great down to the wire game, I came away from it thinking that was Georgia's chance. Georgia's not making the playoffs. So it didn't stun me in the way that it stunned others that Georgia was not considered one of the top four teams, considering it didn't have a conference championship and it was with two losses. So um, that didn't really surprise me. Um, I think this just really solidified how difficult it's going to be to beat Alabama. I mean, we talked about all year, what's this team going to look like when it finally has to face some adversity? Well, I would say your potential Heisman trophy quarterback um, going down with 12 minutes left and you're facing an elite defense and you got to turn to your backup. I'd say that's some pretty good adversity. Um, Alabama, I thought was clinched for a playoff spot coming into that game. I didn't think that anything could have happened was going to take away the fact that they had the most wins against current top 25 teams against anyone. But I think if you're a Bama fan, you're, you're feeling great right now because you saw the maturation of Jalen Hurts. You saw your defense have to make some adjustments late, which Nick Saban has not had to do a whole lot this year. Um, and you, you saw a side of this team that you needed to see before the playoff. And you want them experiencing that necessarily against a team like Oklahoma or Clemson or something like that. So I, I think that all around, um, you know, it, it was a classic game and it was great to be a part of, but I think now that we've had a chance to kind of step back and take a look at it, I, I think that from both sides, there are some definite positives. Um, and I think if you're a fan of either fan base, you're feeling pretty good about what you got going forward. I would feel, I, I mean, obviously if you're an Alabama fan, you're just like, okay, we survive. We're going to move on to it. Even gets hurt. And Jalen showed he could step right in and it's fine. And he had his great moment. Um, it, it was a cool thing. But if I'm a Georgia fan, um, two things. One, it reinforces the idea that conference championship games should not exist. These just it, It's just another way for teams to cannibalize each other. Um, I don't know how you could come away because, again, Georgia was um, in the top four in the playoff uh, rankings the week before. And because they lost this game, they fell out. However, <laughs> I don't know how you could... It, I don't know how you could sell me on them pushing Alabama to the limits that they did um, uh, for them to drop. Like you just, it's a tough thing for me to wrap my head around of just moving them down. But it, I also understand like they have two losses and they lost their two biggest games of the year. That matters. Great. I just, I think we need to get rid of conference championship games. It's not like they are a requirement. Like the Big Twelve, I mean, they almost did it themselves again by making Oklahoma have to play Texas for a second time, and uh, Oklahoma, they're in, so it's fine. But um, you just look across the board of these teams having to go in and play another tough game prior to the playoff, and it's already hard enough to go twelve and zero. It's even more difficult to go thirteen and zero or twelve and one, that kind of deal. And I just. I don't know how you can come away from this weekend if you're the committee and just go, you know, Georgia is just, they don't belong in that top four. And it's it's all very complicated. I don't want it expanded. I, I know you've written about this, um, <clears throat> that it's just, I, I think four is fine. Because really, if we're being honest, this is getting really granular here, but there's two teams. That's it. Like, we really could just do two. It could be the normal BCS system this year, and I think everybody yep. would be um, understanding of Clemson, Alabama. Like, I think that's a normal thing. I, I Notre Dame, I get it. They're good. I like Notre Dame. I think they're, like, the fifth or sixth best team in the country, somewhere around there, but they're undefeated, so they deserve to be in. Like, they just they caught a lot of lucky breaks. A down USC, a down Stanford, down Florida State, like all kinds of teams that were down this year that helped them. But, hey, they played their schedule. That's fine. 
Um, I don't know. I just I, I feel bad for Georgia fans because it feels like you're not going to get many mo- opportunities to go back to back like this with what they'd had the magical run they had last year, and then to have Alabama on the ropes again this year. It just feels like. It, this stuff comes and goes, and you're not going to be there forever. Just look at the Falcons blowing 23. They're four and eight right now, and who knows that they'll? I'll see a Falcon Super Bowl again in my lifetime. And Georgia fans have just got to be like Jake Fromm was so good in that first half, and this team wasn't even supposed to be there. They lost Sonny Michelle, Nick Chubb. The offensive line was shaky, and then it got better as the season went on. The defense has been great. DeAndre Baker is just a lockdown corner, and the pass rushers coming on, and you know I. I just feel bad because I get that they're super young and they're going to have a lot more talent coming in and everything, but it is so hard to do this year in and year out and expect to have all these things go your way and to be in the the playoff picture year after year. It's just only a handful of programs are able to keep that up. And uh, I don't know. I would just be a tad nervous if I was a Georgia fan, like, oh, we just missed our two-year window. I think it's different with college teams. I don't think that the window theory of I don't think it really applies to the same way it, for Georgia that it applies to like the Falcons who, you know, they okay. have, they have guys who are in their peak and they're in their prime. And I think it's a lot more sustainable. You could argue to sustain an, an elite college program, especially when you have the resources and you have the same people backing you, you know, from, from upstairs with what you're able to do from a facility standpoint. I, I just think that it's a little bit easier. That's why the cream of the crop in college football doesn't change that much. It really has mm-hmm. very much in the playoff era. And I think, you know, you bring up a good point about, though, the fact that there is this get over the hump thing with Georgia. And I think that being in that stadium and we were surrounded by nothing but Georgia fans, you could feel it. You could feel that moment where they realize, man, there are very few times when you're going to get when you're going to have Nick Saban on the ropes and you need to be able to capitalize. And you could feel how deflated that fan base felt when they realized it wasn't going to happen. And that's a tough thing to accept. Now the glass half full approach and one that I think Georgia fans will hold on to uh, is, is obviously the numbers about the youth. They have 63 of their 85 scholarship players on the yeah. platform, and that's going to help them moving forward. You still have Jake Fromm coming back. You still have DeAndre Swift coming back and you're going to have, you have a, you know, the historically the number one recruiting class ever in the, and the recruiting rankings era just just signed in 2018. So mm-hmm. uh, it, they're they're going to be loaded with talent for years. Kirby Smart's 41 years old. I mean, this thing is going to have a lot of life to it, and we don't know how long Saban is going to be in Tuscaloosa. So if I'm a Georgia fan, I'm holding out hope that you know you're not. I, I don't know. You know, maybe we got a little bit ahead of ourselves in assuming that Georgia was going to become Bama 2.0. Maybe I would back off that stance slightly just because we're seeing how difficult it is and games like that serve as a reminder but you're still going to be able to be the cream of the crop in the division and I know the division is getting better and Florida is going to be tough competition for Georgia moving forward but I still think if you're a Georgia fan you're feeling really good about what you have the foundation of your program and what you're going to be able to do for years to come and if you know maybe Georgia trades off years and you know it does kind of the Auburn thing where every once in a while Auburn catches fire and goes to a national championship Georgia can definitely sustain that. I think their model, their floor is much higher than Auburn. And I think that that eventually they're going to be able to beat Alabama. But for now, it's just one of those get over the hump type things. Well, 
if Auburn is ever able to make it to the SEC East where they belong and force Barry Odom and the Missouri right. Tigers into the SEC West, uh, I'd feel a lot better about Auburn's chances going forward. I don't think Georgia wants Auburn every year like that. Um, I get that they play. Like, they have that weird scheduling stuff at the end of the year. Auburn's just screwed no matter what as long as they keep playing Georgia and Alabama back-to-back to, back to close their year. It's just it's not feasible, especially, like, if you have Georgia just sitting there again because, uh, remember, we, we were all talking like a healthy carry-on. Johnson, Auburn was maybe the best team in the country last year when they were all healthy. And this year the bottom fell out and Jarrett Siddham's gone now and they don't have an offensive coordinator and uh, the the donor base is like refusing to allocate funds potentially for uh, Gus Malzahn to hire an expensive offensive coordinator because they don't want to give him a multi-year deal and that's why Hugh Freeze is not the OC right now. And we could talk about that in a second if you want. But um, I just feel like it, it's it, you're right that it's just college is different the pros and stuff like that and this is sustainable and kirby's obviously an elite recruiter and they're gonna be fine but i mean they did just lose mel tucker he's now gone to colorado we know he's a good recruiter we know this is going to help tennessee and other teams like that who have a bunch of alabama and georgia staffers and all that kind of stuff so they'll be fine that will help them um i'm still kind of wondering what happens with justin fields my bet uh, like I, my family is all Georgia fans and uh, they don't like when I talk about this, but I think Justin Fields is gone. I don't know why he went there to begin with. Like that still is a really baffling thing to me. Like, I don't know who advised him that this was a good idea because Jake Fromm was just such a galvanizing presence for this team. And he was really good in that game um, Saturday. And I just don't see him moving on in 2019. And I just, mm-hmm. if I'm Justin Fields, I don't want to sit another year. It's just, but he did this to himself because he could have gone to Penn state and he would have started right away next year with Chase McSorley yep. graduating um, Florida state, obviously in kind of turmoil. Like there's just a bunch of other better options for him. And he chose one where there was already a leader and a really good quarterback, top five quarterback in the country. And I, uh, I don't know. I, I think he's gone. I would advise him if I was, uh, a close friend of Justin Fields to leave because Fromm's just too good and there's just no avenue for him to succeed right now. And I could see Fromm being like a four-year starter at Georgia. He seems like one of those Aaron Murray types who really enjoys the college atmosphere, knows he's not going to be an NFL quarterback, undersized, that kind of stuff. I mean, maybe he would down the road. We'll see, but I, I don't see it. Um, so maybe he stays all four years and then if you're Fields, you're just really screwed because then you're maybe getting one at the end of it but yeah am i i don't know i think the field stuff's gonna be interesting and uh where he ends up maybe he goes to auburn if auburn ever hires an offensive oh, coordinator gosh. Uh, this offseason yeah oh, gosh would... no he'd be amazing uh, i mean back to the title well, game. I, back to the I playoff auburn's today, back i i wrote today that i thought jalen hurts was uh is, is going to auburn that's that's my prediction so really uh, i'll take yeah. it I mean, and that's not necessarily like any, you know, any inside source telling me that or anything like first. that. Yeah, no, Connor not, is not ready. Connor <laughs> aggregated. Connor has made the claim. No Kelly Bryant, no problem. Right, right. No, I, I would push back a little bit on the belief that, that Jake Fromm is a four-year guy and that he's Aaron Murray 2.0. I've fought that argument against that many times. I just think some of the mm. throws that he makes are, are NFL ready and the people that I have discussed his draft stock with would would disagree um i you know if you know matt miller of uh, who does great work for Bleacher right. report and yep. nfl draft scout um in, in the beginning of this year uh gordon rogers threw out on twitter that you know he had jake Fromm ranked like eighth or ninth in his sc quarterback ranks i'm like that's freaking ridiculous and um yeah, not, I, not I i i went back with him back and forth with jordan rogers and jordan rogers ended up saying 
oh, Jake Fromm's not an NFL quarterback. He's not, he'll be an undrafted free agent. I said, you're, you're out of your mind. You're, you're crazy. And I then shared that message with, with Matt Miller. And Matt Miller's like, no, that's not what people are saying at all. If Jake Fromm is going to be an NFL quarterback. He would have him projected as a first rounder right now. So I, oh, I, wow. I think, yeah, I think some of the, the size thing is, is, is a bit, is a bit overblown. I think he's got more than enough size to play in the NFL. I think that given what he's been able to do and develop his game really specifically this year since that LSU game and the way that he has handled pressure, the way that he's handled third down and some of the, just the back shoulder throws. I mean, there, there might not be a better quarterback in the country when it comes to making that sideline back shoulder throw that he loves to do to Jeremiah Hallman. I, I think that I, I'm obviously you can tell I'm all in on Jake Fromm. I'm not saying he's going to be oh, a you are. quarterback, but I'm, I'm a believer that, that he could, he could end up being a three-year guy, which would relate that would come back to the Fields thing of okay, Justin Fields could just start as a redshirt sophomore. What did Dwayne Haskins do this year? He started as a redshirt sophomore. He waited behind yeah. JT Barrett, waited his turn. And I'm not saying that he's going to do that because it's always different when you're, you know, the number one or the number two overall recruit in a class. But yeah. if Jake Fromm does have that kind of ceiling, and if we're talking about a guy this offseason who, you know, the NFL draft boards are all, you know, the mock drafts are going to start to come out. After this upcoming draft, we're you know we're going to figure out just what Jake Fromm's draft stock really is. I think that that mm-hmm. makes this thing more interesting. So yeah, I mean obviously in hindsight, I thought the Penn State thing made a lot more sense, especially if Joe, my guy Joe Moorhead had stayed there. But um, yeah, I yeah. mean this this whole thing is just going to have a lot of lot of layers to it, and it's, uh, it's very far from being settled right now. Well, the bad news for um, uh, Jake Fromm is that he could not declare this year. Because this quarterback class is atrocious, and um, Drew Locke is going to benefit from that, who just feels like a future cowboy to me. I've always been impartial to Drew Locke. I like him, Um, but he is, I I would not hitch my wagon to him if I was an NFL team. Jarrett Stidham declared, so have fun with that if he gets drafted and uh, see what happens. Uh, He's already like full Derek Carr mode. Uh, when he's uh, feeling pressure, he, there's pressure not even there, and he gets nervous and throws stuff away, and just really bad year for him. I felt bad. Jared Stidham having the amazing year he did the year before, and then this year just kind of all fell apart. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think it should be interesting to see what Fields does. But if I was Fields, I would leave. Were you surprised by Kelly Bryant picking Mizzou or not at all? So um, when he first announced that he was transferring from Clemson. I came out with the immediate five destinations that would make sense for him. Um, you know, number one, obviously Arkansas, number two, Auburn, you kind of list, you know, I think I had like Florida on there. I can't remember the fourteen, but the fifteen that I had as a wild card was Mizzou. And okay. I thought, I actually thought Mizzou made a lot of sense for the reasons that he picked Mizzou. Um, and I had originally listed out, you know, we think we, we put these quarterbacks in a, in a box and we try and say, Oh, you're a dual threat guy. This is what you want to do. So this is the system that makes the most sense or blah, blah, blah. And with Kelly Bryant, this is a kid who left Clemson because he wants to play at the next level. This is an, mm-hmm. a, a time in the NFL where we're, we're a lot more open to uh, quarterbacks who are, you know, of his style and guys who can, who can run and not necessarily these guys with these, these big arms that are 6'5", 230 pounds. And so I thought, you know what? If he wants to go somewhere where he could throw the ball, he could go play in Derek Dooley's offense. He can know that he's going to have that starting job. He's going to get to replace Drew Locke. 
He's going to have a lot of talent around him. That Mizzou, that Mizzou offense returns a ton of skill players. They got Albert O coming back. They got a thousand yard rusher and Larry Roundtree. They got some pieces there that he's going to be able to work with. And you're going to get to play in the SEC. So you're going to have a lot of eyeballs on you. You're not going to have to face, you know, the Bamas and the Auburns because you're not in that division. So I thought that actually made a lot of sense. And I, you know, had thought that that Arkansas was going to be the destination the way that this thing played out with given his relationship with I didn't with get the Chad Arkansas Morris. stuff outside of Chad Morris because that team sucks and they're not yeah. going to be better next year I don't see how that helps him to go like four and eight with Arkansas for one year I, I just that didn't make any sense to me I, I would yeah and, you know ultimately maybe that's why he didn't end up choosing Arkansas yeah I he's like why, why do I want to go three and nine Chad I like you I love right. your time at Clemson together but uh, your team sucks and uh, you play in the SEC West no thanks hard pass exactly and uh but i you know the mizzou thing i got a text on tuesday morning from someone who i trust a lot in this industry after i threw it out there um, because i had thrown out a tweet about how it was interesting that jared Sidham declared for the draft on the same day that kelly bryant um was going was set to announce and i definitely think Mm. that that was gus malzahn playing puppeteer in the background but i had thrown out a tweet saying i know that arkansas is kind of the favorite here but interesting timing on jared Sidham's part and then I got a text from somebody I trust in, in this industry who said, it's Mizzou, lock it up, just don't say anything. Huh. And so that to me was like, oh, wow. So it didn't matter that. just at when, Auburn over the weekend. And exactly. it looked like everything was leaning Auburn. And yeah, it was, uh, that's wild. Yeah. So but interesting like said, decision, it makes though. sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, the SEC East, it's good for us. Like the East is going to be more interesting next year. More challengers for Georgia, which goes back to my point of like, Maybe, like, the East is going to get better. I mean, Vanderbilt, I don't think, is getting any better. Kentucky feels like they missed their moment, which really sucks for them. Um, Just the kind of year they had Josh Allen turning into the force that he did, that defense, and winning the way they did at Mizzou, and just winning at Florida for the first time in 97 years. And, you know, it just felt like Kentucky, this was their year. And that was my whole thing all year. I was like, this feels like the Jim McElwain Florida teams for them, where it... They're going to go like 10 and 2, 11 and 1 in the regular season and then get blitzed by Alabama in the SEC title game. Like Georgia's just a slight down year. Kentucky's going to take advantage and then they crap the bed at home against um, Georgia. But yeah, it feels like they're not um, positioned to be fun in the next couple of years. Terry Wilson, is he back? I don't even know. If he yeah, he's a redshirt freshman. Back. He's got a lot of Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cross him off. Kentucky, gone. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> Mizzou will be better. Uh, I'm very high on florida i fought for florida all year where i was like I, I don't know what people are like worried about here dan mullen's really good at his job he's the best mississippi state head coach of all time he just wins he is an offensive genius he's gonna get something out of these guys we'll see what if he starts emory jones or whoever next year um still a little worried about grantham but that offense is legit and they're gonna get better they went nine and three in year one which is a lot better than what happened with uh, willie taggart in Florida State, and then people are worried, like, oh, Florida's not recruiting as well as they used to because you have Lane Kiffin now, Butch Davis at FIU, Willie Taggart at FSU, Mark Rick at Miami. Mark Rick doesn't have an offense at Miami. Manny Diaz, one of the best offensive coordinators in football, but that offense is just a train wreck. So we'll see if he hires, like, Charlie Wise Jr. or something, or uh, Kendall Bryles or whoever to revamp that offense. But, I, I mean, Dan Mullen's back he's got Florida back in the best position of that state. I think, I mean, Walt Bell just left to go to UMass, like Florida's on the up and up. So if I'm Georgia, I'm getting pretty nervous about that. Um, I don't know, Tennessee, we'll see what they do with their OC. Uh, 
they, they still don't have one as of this moment. It's Hugh Freeze may just take the Liberty job and he'll get tired of waiting between Tennessee and, uh, and uh, Auburn. Who knows? But uh, I still think T. Martin is going to uh, Tennessee as their OC. That would be my best guess still. Am I crazy? You are much more in the know than I am. Is that uh, realistic that T. Martin is their next offensive coordinator? Gosh, how ironic would that be? Um, I Yeah. After a year in which he said, no, I'm not going to come there to be the offensive coordinator. I want to come there to be the head coach. And then a year later, he's like, hey, you know, offensive coordinator would be great. Um, no, I, I feel bad. really down right now. He got let go from USC. Like, it, he, he doesn't have many options, but he's an elite recruiter. Right, he is. I don't know if they're, if they're going to go back to that. I mean, you, you never know because they are really trying to play up the, the historic narrative there at, at Tennessee. And, you know, that's, that's kind of what every traditional power who's struggling does. So that wouldn't be terribly surprising. Although, you know, this, the, obviously the Hugh Freeze thing, um, maybe that's going to depend on what Auburn's able to do. If Gus Malzahn is able to get this, this clearance to be able to allow for a multi-year contract. How insane contract. is that? The donors uh, are not allowing him to do that. I don't know. Gus, they hate him I, so much, they're like, you're doing this yourself, and we're going to yeah. make you fail. What Auburn, a healthy situation. Auburn is the weirdest power. It's, it's the most bizarre Power 5 job there is. I, I, I truly believe that. I, I think that there are very few places that operate under the same guidelines with the same type of competition that Auburn does. I mean, they if they were going to fire Malzahn, um, and, and they didn't, I realized that, but if that had happened, they would have eaten $40 million in buyouts in the last six years to fire a pair of coaches who went to national championships this decade. That's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, like no other place would be like that to fire. And I'm not saying that Gene Chizik was like the long-term guy or anything. And yeah, he caught lightning in a bottle with Cam Newton. And I'm not even saying that, Gus Malzahn is, is the long-term guy just because, you know, that, that 2013 season was, they just could do no wrong, but it's so weird that this has played out the way that it has. And you had, you had a lame duck AD negotiating a contract extension with a coach for $49 million. I mean, where else does that happen? I, I just, Auburn to me baffles me. It's almost like a get rich quick scheme or something like that. And these coaches can go there and, you know, have some fun he moments. Invested in five like, the program. He's using like what two million dollars of his own money to like try and get some more funds into the program to like uh hey look what I'm doing guys I'm I'm helping you out a little bit of my own money like it's dude it's it's baffling I I can't believe it but you know what whatever it takes to get Lane Kiffin in Auburn I'm here for it let's do it I just that feels like the end game here right it's got to be Lane no one else it has to be Lane. Lane's, Lane's got to get back on track. Lane, Lane uh, kind of fell off the he boat. He went 5-7 this year. Hey, yeah. You know what? We're not going to talk about FAU going 5-7. and seven. I'm not going to do my guy, Joey Freshwater, like that. He had a gap year. It's fine. <laughs> FAU, the Owls are fine. Boca Raton's great. He just spent too much time out in the sun. He got a little too comfortable. That's, that's, that's fair. Have we seen uh, Lane Kiffin and Ben Roethlisberger in the same room? Because they're looking similar these days. Hold on. Now yeah, you're Google playing. it. Out, outright rude about uh, that guy Lane. He's, oh, he's enjoying not, life. He is. Oh, he absolutely is. And I actually made the argument that I, I don't. I wouldn't think it'd be crazy if he decided that he wants to stay at FAU for four years. It's like a retirement area where it's just he's like, why would I leave this location? This no stress, no Nick Saban, no None. anything. I mean, lifetime it, contract. He's blank check. Whatever they, whatever he wants. 
That's true. I guess we'll see how much he really wants to get back into the high octane power five bubble. But I mean, yeah, it's it's not a bad gig. Butch Davis going what like nine and three at FIU this year. Like he's uh he's feeling pretty good. Got back in the ranks. I don't think he's itching to get that Miami job and bring Miami back. So no, yeah, maybe maybe these guys are like you know what. Power five football is overrated, and they're like calling uh, Josh Heupel. Hey, calm down, UCF. It's a lot better just if you reel in those expectations and just enjoy living in uh, Florida, even though Central Florida is in Orlando, so not a lot of beach uh, situations like uh, they have in Boca Raton and FIU. Where is that? Is it South Florida? Isn't that like one of the weird things where South Florida is Tampa and FIU is like, yeah, it's, it's really weird. Um... But yeah, I don't know. Where do you think Hugh Freeze ends up? Do you think he actually gets one of the jobs or do you think he like takes Liberty job and the job he was meant for, Jerry Falwell Jr. and uh, Hugh Freeze leading the Liberty Flames in an FCS competition? That would that would probably make, maybe that makes a little bit more sense. The, the SEC coordinator thing just feels like it's going to happen. I mean, he's had, yeah. you know, last year with the, there he got obviously got the, you know, Greg Sankey basically stepping in and saying, you know what, you, you probably shouldn't do this because it would be a really bad look if you're leading a team to, you're helping a team get to a postseason berth and doing so uh, while Ole Miss is still banned from the postseason. So yeah. I get that logic, but I feel like it's kind of going to happen. I don't know if it's going to be Tennessee or Auburn or who knows, maybe they'll end up getting a job at Alabama and, you know, taking over for yeah. what Dan Enos was able to do this year and, you know, with, with, with Mike Loxley going to Maryland. Uh, that that could be a possibility. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't rule that out. I feel like Hugh Freeze is coming back to the SEC. He's had too much interest in the last two years not to. Interestingly enough, you know, we had heard potentially about, you know, the the, the move of him going to Mizzou and now Mizzou – is feeling good with Derek Dooley. Yeah, I mean, go figure. I mean, things change in this conference so quickly. So who knows what we're talking yeah. about with Hugh Freeze a year from now. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he would be good at Auburn. And you know what? It's hard to get a big-time transfer when you don't have an offensive coordinator right now. Like, that's a tough sell. Like, uh, to somebody like Kelly Bryant or Jalen Hurts or whatever, it's like – are you going to be the one calling the offensive plays, Gus, or is it going to be someone else? Is it going to be like, it's a, it's a tough sell when you're trying not to go into next year with um, Bo Nix and uh, Malik uh, Willis or whoever. Like it's, I'm convinced that Gus Malzahn is coaching for his job next year and he has no interest in starting a four-star dual threat um, in Bo Nix who has lit it up in Alabama this year, but um, yeah, I, I don't think he's going to settle for one of those guys who are already on the roster or Bo Nick. So it should be interesting to see if he goes after Jalen Hurts or, um, anybody else. Is there any other big transfer quarterback name out there? Um, you know, not off the top of my head. I mean, there, there, the way that this thing shakes out, I mean, there could be some coming up. Um, that's a good question. I'm, I'm kind of drawing a blank right now. I've been kind of caught up in the coaching carousel not really so much in the what about wilton spate what's he up to is he uh, does he have any more eligibility let's get wilton spate in here no i think he i think he's done <laughs> i think he was he was a one-year deal at, at UCLA yeah. he's uh he's gone I'm, yeah. yeah sadly enough wilton spate's college career i think it's come to a close uh what a run though right what a run i'll never forget it never forget the wilton spate the Wilton Spate days at UCLA, stepping in a little bit to get his uh, Chip Kelly year one um, under control. Get them to what three and nine? 
point. Uh, I don't know. Did they get there? Like I don't okay. know. I think they got to three and nine. Hey, they're moving the right direction in the year. Not like Scott Frost moving the right direction, but they're moving the right direction. I love Chip. They'll be fine. UCLA will be fine. Uh, last thing, and then we'll go. The three Heisman finalists, Tua, Tunga Viola, Kyler Murray, and Dwayne Haskins. Um, how would you rank them if you uh, were the final decision maker, the Heisman czar? What would be your order? So I can come out and admit this, that I've, I'm biased in that I've seen Tua more than I've seen Kyler Murray this year. I mean, that's the nature of my job. Really? I cover SEC football. That, that, that's yeah. what I do. I've seen Tua play in person three times this year, and with the exception of this past Saturday, he's pretty much blown me away every time. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, I remember watching the Louisville game, and I know Louisville's garbage this year, but just some of the throws that he was making and you know the turnaround where he finds Jerry Judy in the corner in the end zone in that first quarter where he evades the sack, and I just remember having the thought, like, holy cow, one day I'm going to tell my grandkids that I saw this dude's first career start. I mean, he is that kind of talent. I think what Kyler Murray is doing is unbelievable. Don't get me wrong. And I think the fact that what he's been able to, to do in, in Baker Mayfield's shoes uh, with Lincoln, Ryan, Lincoln Riley's offense, consider, like we, nobody's really talking about how we forget that Kyler Murray wasn't that good when he was at A&M. There's a reason that he left, and there's a reason that he wasn't billed as the guy and I understand he had some disagreements with with Kevin Sumlin and trying to fit in there but I mean this is a guy who has really really improved a ton but I would still probably say that that two would be my number one and Kyler Murray would be a close second those two have been far and away more more efficient than Dwayne Haskins that's not to take anything away from him but I just think from they from a do-it-all standpoint Kyler Murray and, and Tua have been those guys and they also have the mobility aspect, whereas Dwayne Haskins is not a running threat at all. Um, I would yeah. give a slight edge to two, and I would not let necessarily just the conference championship sway my opinion because Texas's defense compared to Georgia's defense is not necessarily fair. Even even though Georgia's defense isn't on the level that it was last year, I think still that's, that's a very, very difficult uh, task to be able to, to light them up. So I, I would just say that Tua, what he's been able to do against SEC defenses this year, week in, week out, a guy that did not throw an incomplete pass in the fourth quarter in the entire regular season. I mean, that's unbelievable. I think what he has been able to do, his body of work, it, it, it is deserving of, of this award. And I think that, you know, if I had a vote, he would become the first Alabama quarterback to win the Heisman Trophy. That's fair. Um, I think all three have a valid case. I really do. Like this is one of the more tougher decisions I think in recent years. Like Baker was obvious, Manzel, like guys like that. You just go up and down the list, and it's like, okay, these, duh. What are we doing here? We we know where this is going, but this is tough because Tua, like you said, he didn't have to play a lot in the fourth quarter. He also is going to get hurt just because he plays in the most talented team in the country, and. I mean, obviously, Tua is great, and it's just weird seeing Alabama have an all-time great quarterback because uh, they've been able to win with Blake Sims and Greg McElroy, and no offense to Greg McElroy, friend of the program. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's weird, but I just I have to go with Kyler to me because uh, Kyler is, when you watch Oklahoma, and I can't imagine being in his shoes where it's like he goes into every game knowing his defense is going to give up 49 points. So, he has to go in with the mindset. I have to like to feel comfortable with a lead or whatever. We have to score 50 every week. No matter what. I have to be insane. He was down three scores against Texas when they their only loss this year. And he had that run where he like ran 80 yards down the sideline and brought them back 21 points. And it, I swear it took like three minutes for them to come all the way back. 
And if you just, I can't get over just how efficient he was. I mean, his, he's insanely accurate. He's just, he's never really faltered. I mean, you can get at him for the Texas stuff, but he came back strong and he finished strong. And it was just, Texas had the ball last and they kicked the game winner, uh, the game winning field goal. And it was just, that was it. And then he got revenge and he won. Um, he's lost one game in like 10 years. He went undefeated at the that high school in Texas that like spent, what was it, like $60 million or whatever it was. It was either six or 60. I'm not sure on their football stadium and everything else. And it's he was a football prodigy, all that good stuff. And he went undefeated three straight years. And he's lost one game as a quarterback since. And Tua's same kind of thing. He is not lost yet. And he's an insane player. And then you have Dwayne Haskins, who... He, I mean, over 70% completion percentage, kind of the same deal with Kyler, where that defense with Greg Schiano fell off a cliff this year. Not good. He had to go into every game trying to do everything he possibly could. He had a bad Purdue game. But if you watched Ohio State a lot this year, and I did, especially in that Maryland game and everything else, that dude makes every throw. And he has no run game. J.K. Dobbins and everybody else, they could not run the football at all. Tua suffered the same kind of stuff because Alabama had a down, quietly down year running the football. And I there's so many good choices, but I think if I really had to think, like if I had to pick something, it would go Kyler 1, Tua 2, and then Dwayne Haskins 3. But I really do think they're all deserving. And I think if anyone got upset about any of those three winning, then they probably didn't watch enough of them this year. I think that's a fair point. And I think that, you know, from just watching Tua and watching the way that he has developed since that national championship game has kind of fueled part of this to where you're, you feel like you're watching something different. And I don't know, maybe the fact, the mystique of the fact that he's a lefty and the fact that he's, you know, this Hawaiian quarterback and he's got this, this name that's, you know, Tua. So he's already a first name guy. And part of it is just because people don't know how to say Tonga Vailoa, but you know, this, he's got this mystique about him and obviously Kyler Murray does too. And they're, you know, I know Oklahoma's playing up the whole Bo Jackson thing right now, but I, yeah, I mean, I, I have no problem with, with either of them winning. I mean, I'll, I'll say that I, I would give the edge to do it just for the simple fact that I, I think that what he has done has been so rare, especially at a place like Alabama, especially in a conference like the SEC, where you just don't see passing seasons quite like this, quite as efficient as he's been. Um, and, and, you know, the fact that, that he, he has a better defense than Ohio State and Oklahoma, I mean, it really doesn't show up in the numbers, though. I mean, if you, if you actually like sit there and break it down, Bama's got the number two offense in the country. I mean, they're, two, they're one and a half points a game behind Oklahoma. Bama's got a better offense than, than Ohio State, uh, and, and they put together the most dominant regular season that we've seen since, what, 1888 Yale or whatever that stat was about beating every team yeah. by at least 20 points. So I, I think I would get that Yale team, though. God, how did they play? I don't know how they played 12 games that year, but yeah, that's that that's true. blew me away. Um, yeah, no, I'd give it to I'd give it to Tua slightly, but anybody that that wants to argue Kyler Murray, I you know, no problem. Yeah, by all means, this is as, as unique of a year as we've had in a very long time with this award. Yeah, either way, all deserving, all really good at their job, and all must see TV, which is all we really want, right? We just want to watch amazing quarterback play. So, and poor Will Greer. Had a great year, some bad losses, but uh, another inefficient. And Justin Herbert, who was in the conversation until Oregon kind of sputtered down the stretch and he got injured. But either way, the quarterback position is a lot of fun in college this year. Offenses have been fun. The college playoff will be fun. Oh, last thing, then we'll go. What are your, what are your playoff picks real quick? 
I mean, it's Bama Clemson. I'm I'm going Bama Clemson, okay. and right now I would take I would take Bama to to win it all. It's tough to tough to pick against a team that's been this dominant and just I, I still have in the back of my mind Clemson allowing uh Kellen Mond to throw for what 370 yards and allowing Jake Bentley to throw over 500 yards so I'm just gonna mm-hmm. throw this out there I think two is a little bit better than both of those quarterbacks so I just I yeah to me that Clemson has some weaknesses yeah okay um I have Clemson Oklahoma and then Clemson winning it all wow interesting yeah I, I'm nervous about Tua's ankle. Like that is a bad high ankle sprain, and it's like a month long injury uh, recovery time. I I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of Jalen in the Oklahoma game. And if we see a lot of Jalen, I don't think Alabama can keep up. I like the story in the championship game against Georgia, but Oklahoma is going to drop forty nine on Alabama. That's happening. I don't know if Jalen plays over three quarters, they can hang with him. I know that's crazy to think about sometimes. Like Alabama, can they keep up with Oklahoma? But I uh, I don't know. I mean, Oklahoma got they got off to an amazing start against Georgia last year, and were up at the half. And Georgia made adjustments, and they were able to counter it. But it was one of the best college football games of all time. And that Georgia team was stacked, and the Alabama team is stacked. So I I would not be surprised. I, I just people need to prepare themselves for Lincoln Riley and Kyler Murray uh, to potentially pull that one out. People aren't giving Oklahoma a shot, and I I just think that's never doubt the number one offense in football. That's all I'll say. I just don't uh-huh. doubt it because it's uh they're gonna put up points. That's the bare minimum. And if Jalen has to play a lot, I would be nervous if I was a Alabama fan with that run game and uh just seeing what Jalen could do. But yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm all in on Trevor Lawrence and that Clemson offense with Etienne and that defensive line and I know that they gave up a lot of yards to some uh subpar quarterbacks and Mond and Bentley and guys like that, but they took care of business and gets pit. And uh, they just—they're just really dominant, and they're just—I re- I don't know—I I can't shake the Clemson thing for me. I feel like we're all undervaluing Clemson again, but we'll see. It'll be fun. I'll enjoy it. And uh, Connor, I really do appreciate you taking the time. We'll have to do this again soon. Sounds good. We'll do. All right, man. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I uh, just want to remind you guys: if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcast or iTunes, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out chasethomaspodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore thomas. And like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Uh, thank you for your support, and we will be back with another episode very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.